Psalm chapter 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel for the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and on, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, There are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's word. Thanks, Betsy. So good evening, everybody. So our primary diet of teaching scripture here is to just go through a book of the Bible. Uh, verse by verse, we can get the whole counsel of God and see what he has to say to us. So that's typically how we do our preaching here. Uh, but what we're doing this fall is we're taking a break from that and we're looking at our identity as a church. So who are we? Every church has to be about something. So we're looking at uh, who are we? What's our identity? And so these things are really important because these are the things that um, no matter how long this church is around for, hopefully for hundreds of years, really long after we're gone, uh, these are the core things that we want to dig our well deep in uh, that, we would, that we would take a bullet for, essentially. So what are we about here as a church? And so what we went over last week is our mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus who live in light of the gospel. So in other words, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, you are a recipient of grace. Grace is a, it's an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. And so God, he wasn't obligated uh, to give Jesus to us. He wasn't obligated to redeem us uh, because he's a God of grace. He saved us, not because of anything we've done, but all based on what Jesus has done. And so what we want to do as a church is not just privatize that great gift that God's given us, but live it out. It should change how we live. If Christ has come and he will come again, uh, draw us together with him in glory, that should change how we live in the present. That's what it means to live in light of the gospel. And so last week we talked about that, and so what we're going to do for the next three weeks is look at how do we do that, because that isn't just going to hap happen haphazardly. We have to be very deliberate in how we go about living in light of the gospel. And so what we're going to look at tonight is worship. Worship. So one of the ways that we live in light of the gospel is through meeting regularly, corporately, like, like we're doing right now for a worship service. And so this is really important because... So you ask any group of people, like Christians in the church, why do you worship? Like, why do you go to church on Sunday? And you're going to get a lot of different answers. And so, I mean, we spend a lot of time here, do we not? Like, I mean, a fair chunk of our Sunday, especially if you're on a service team, you get here early or here late. We spend a lot of our weekends here, so it's important to, to be on the same page about why do we gather, okay? So why do we worship? If only there was a chapter in the Bible that told us that. Well, there is. Okay, so Psalm 95, uh, that's what we're looking at tonight. And so Psalm 95 is known as the Venite. That's Latin for O Come. And this psalm has actually shaped the gathered, um, the gathering of believers for centuries. And it serves as a guide for what a worship service should look like. And so what my hope is uh, for you all is as we go through this psalm is 
I know a lot of you really do love what we do here on Sunday, and I, I love that about you guys. Um, so no matter where you're at, though, I want us to cherish what we do here on Sunday. Uh, not just as something we do, like we do the laundry, um, just because it has to get done, but as a, as, as a powerful and irreplaceable way that God meets us and uh, nourishes us on our brief journey here on earth. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, really glad that you're here, and uh, hopefully you see maybe what, what does it mean, like why do we gather every Sunday to worship, okay? So here's how we're going to look at worship as we go through the psalm. So first we're going to see the reason for worship, second we'll see the form of worship, and then number three we'll see the beauty of worship. So first the reason for worship, why do we do it? Uh, number two, the form of worship, so what, what structure does it take? And then number three, the beauty of worship. Okay, so first, the, the reason for worship. Why do we gather for worship? So in the first two verses of the psalm, what you see the psalm saying, he says, let us come and sing, right? Oh, come, let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into his presence. So the psalmist is describing a, a worship service. And then in verse three, he says why we come and gather. And what, what does he say? He says, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. So the psalmist is saying we come to worship because we, we want to fix our affections on God, the true God, instead of any other God. And this is really important because so if you go, if you walk into Clarendon, um, if you walk into D.C., and you just go around and you ask people, you know, so what, what do you worship? And so you'll get some answers like, oh, I worship, you know, I worship God, or I worship Muslim God, or I'm a Buddhist, I'm a spiritual person. But then you're also going to get a lot of people that say, oh, well, I'm, I'm not religious, right? So I don't, I don't worship anything. And what the psalmist is saying here is, uh, the world is actually not divided between people who worship and people who don't. Uh, the world is divided between people who worship the true God and people who worship a different God. And it, it helps to, to crystallize this when we think about, like, what does the word worship mean? And so the word worship comes from a phrase, worth shape. Be shaped by the worth of something. So to worship something is to be so drawn towards some, some thing, someone, some pursuit, it, it drives everything you do. And so everybody is a worshiper. Like to be a human being, no matter how non-religious you think you are, is to be a worshiper. To look at something, some pursuit, and say, if I have that, then I'll be complete. Then I'll be satisfied. And so like you're not going to find statues of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, probably, if you walk around D.C. or Clarendon, right? But tens of thousands of people essentially bow at the altar of beauty every single week. So ordering everything they eat, how they exercise, uh, the clothes they wear to look a certain way, right? Plenty of other people bow at the altar of career success, sacrificing many other things to have a successful career. And so what, what the psalmist is saying is if you, want, if you want your life to have color, if you want your life to be shot through with joy and equanimity, right, regardless of your circumstances, you need to worship God, like the God who made you. And so, just like, think about for you, I want us to be brutally honest. It's easy, especially if you're here, you're a Christian, you think, okay, yeah, I know a lot of people, they, they worship career success, they worship, they worship romance, they worship those kinds of things. But like, think about you. Um, like, what do you worship? What do you set your affections on more than God? So if you were to stumble across, what is it, the Cave of Wonders in Aladdin, right, where the genie lamp is. And so say you find a genie lamp. Let's be brutally honest. You find a genie lamp, and the genie comes out, and he says, oh, I'll grant you three wishes. Like, just off the top of your head, what would you wish for? Would it, would it be something, like, immediately to, to do with God, to do with Jesus? I think if a lot of us are honest, it might be like, it might be something like, hmm, wish number one. 
get rid of my boss. <laughs> Wish number two, uh, that I make $300,000 more a year than I currently make. I mean, that would change a lot of things, right? And so what, what do you worship? Or at least what compete for your worship? And I think for us here, I think two of the things that we're really challenged by in, in our congregation in this area, one is, is self-image. I think a, a lot of you really care how other people perceive you. And so, like, especially if you, so if you really value being seen as an intelligent person, if somebody in conversation just says something to you like, hmm, you know, you're not really as smart as I thought you were. Like, if you in any way worship being seen as intelligent, that's not just going to be a little pinprick. It's going to be like, <gasps> like the world is coming to an end. Okay, if people, if someone like legitimately doesn't see you as smart. Or for a lot of you, I, I think it's also having a very comfortable, undisturbed life where you can have the experiences you want, the home you want, the career you want, and just not really be troubled by many things. What I'm saying is be, sh- be shaped by the worth of God. And so an illustration that I heard that, that helps with this. So imagine, imagine your, your parents pass away and they give you like, this little jewelry box of some of the jewelry that, that they owned. And you keep it on your dresser and there's one necklace in there that has a, a stone in it. You don't really think much of it. You think about Every time you do a house cleaning, you, you think about throwing it out. Uh, but you hold on to it because, you know, it belonged to your parents. And one day you decide to take it into a jeweler to get it appraised. And so you, you take this necklace into the jewelry store, and there's this lady behind the counter. She, she's very experienced. She's good at what she does. So you hand her the necklace, and she goes, okay. And so she starts looking at it, and then she pauses, and she puts on her glasses, and she looks at it more closely. And then she looks at you and goes, hang on just a second. And then she goes to her computer, and she pulls up her database with whatever jewelers have in those databases just to see, okay, like if she can identify what this piece of jewelry is. And you can't see the screen, but as she is looking at her computer, you see her breathing starts to become labored, like her hands start shaking a little bit. She starts sweating, and she realizes what this piece of jewelry is. And you don't know this yet, but what, she's, what she realizes is this necklace actually belonged to Alexander the Great's mother, and then she gave it to her son, and he carried, like, the pendant with him anytime he went to battle. And so, like, this necklace is more than all the diamonds in my shop combined. What, her whole being is engaged with it, right? She's being totally captivated by it. And so what's the difference between her and you in this moment? She's being shaped by the worth this price, of this priceless piece of jewelry. You're still standing there humming, expecting her to come back and give you 20 bucks for it. And what's she going to do? She's going to, well, if I were her, I would have been like, oh, this isn't worth much. I'll, I'll, I'll hang on to it. So if she's an honest person, she'd, I wouldn't really do that. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> so she's going to come to you, and what she, she's going to evangelize. She's going to tell you the good news. She's going to say something like, you're more stupid than you ever dared believe, <laughs> but you are also more wealthy that you ever imagined. And she tells you what it is, and your life changed forever. And what the psalmist is saying here, by, by be shaped by the worth of God, he's saying so many of you, the reason why you, you grumble, the reason why you're discontent, the reason why you so often fall into self-centeredness and self-pity, and don't love others as you should, the reason why you're not more generous, is because you are not shaped by the worth of God. Like, you have no idea. 
of the value of God, the beauty of God, the wealth of God, and that he belongs to you, and that he's absolutely committed to you. And so you're, you're treating God as if he's just that almost worthless piece of jewelry on your dresser, <laughs> instead of the priceless treasure that he is. So the reason why we come to worship is because every, every single week we start to slide into treating God as something, okay, he's kind of valuable, but he doesn't change our life. And so we come in here every single week to, to be reminded by the wealth of who he is, the beauty of who he is, and to actually be shaped by who he is. So their lives were changed in an even greater way than it would be if you found that you had a treasure like that. Okay, so that's number one. The, the reason why we worship, quite simply, it's just to, to, to be shaped by the worth of God. To see him for who he is. So next number two, let's look at the, the form of worship. Or, or what structure does the worship gathering um, take place in? And so th- there are a lot of things we see in this passage, but today we'll just look at two. And so the first thing is when you look at how your worship gathering should be ordered. So the first one, it's so entwined in the passage you almost miss it as you're reading it. But notice the pronouns there in the first few verses, right? So let uh, go, come, let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into his presence. They're, they're plural pronouns. Right, so what, he, what he's saying is worship needs to be done in a community. And th- this is very challenging to especially our individualistic culture uh, because I talk with a lot of people. who say People would say, yes, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. But when it comes to the, the gathered worship gathering, they'll, they'll say something like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, really, it's just, you don't need to come to church. Like, it's more about my private relationship with Jesus. Or, you know, like, okay, yeah, sure, church kind of matters, but it's not, like, really what church is about. Church is about, you know, meeting with believers out, outside of Sunday. Like, that's what church is really about. Psalmist is saying, not the case. Now, does, does God meet you in a powerful way in private prayer that doesn't happen here? Yes, Absolutely. Does he meet you when you gather with believers outside of here on Sunday? Yes, absolutely. But gathering with the people of God on a Sunday is a powerful and irreplaceable way that you become shaped by the worth of God. And this, this makes sense when you think about any other discipline. So think about, like, any discipline you're in, whether it's your work or something you do for recreation, even if you're good at it, can you become an expert at it by doing it just completely by yourself? No, of course not, right? So, so you need people to teach you. You need peers who are, who are alongside you who are going to help you see facets of the discipline that you wouldn't normally see. Because by getting multiple people together, you can see a, a more full picture of the thing or, 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 or the person you're looking at. Right? If, it, if it's true of, a, of an earthly discipline, how much more true is it of, of the infinite triune God? I mean, think about a, like a, a concert. Like, why is it often so much more stirring to go to a concert in person than just to look at a YouTube video. Because you're around so many other people. A concert in many ways is a worship service. You realize that, right? Like you're seeking transcendence through the experience. But to be around so many other people who are in all of the same thing, it leads you to be shaped by the worth of what you're experiencing more so. Same thing with the gathered body of believers. And so... Think about that. Do, do you see the gathered body of believers as an irreplaceable way that you can know God that can only happen by doing it with other people? Like some of you are some of you are more emotional, 
than others. Some of you are more cognitive. Some of you are more gifted in music. Some of you are more wired to do mercy. And it's only when you come together as a group that we can see the, the full picture of God for who he is. But if you do it by yourself, or even if you just come because you feel like you have to do it, it's like, oh, I don't like over half the people there anyway. You're, you're missing out on being shaped by the worth of God. Because you're going to be limited by your very finite perspective of who he is. Because people have done a number of surveys on this, and I think it's roughly 70, 80% of people who identify as Christians will say it's not necessary to go to church. Now, is it necessary to go to church to be saved? No, that's, that's Christ and Christ alone. But it is impossible to become a changed life person unless you go to church. That's the truth of things. That's the, that's the first thing we see about the form of worship is it has to be done in a community. And then second, there's, there's a pattern to worship. So there's, there's a deliberate pattern to how a worship service should be structured. So if you read through the psalm, you'll, you'll notice that. So the first five verses are essentially praise. So he's looking up at, at the majesty of God, the magnificence of God, trying to fix your eyes on, look, he made the mountains, he made the seas, um, trying to get you to see how, how big he is, make a joyful noise to him. So it's praise. And then in verse six, what do you see? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So there's submission, like confession, as you see the greatness and perfection of God, you're, you're led to see how imperfect you are. So you, you bow down in submission, confession. And then what, toward the end of verse six and in verse seven, you see, uh, you see assurance, right? So yes, we're, we're more flawed than, than we ever thought. However, we're the, we're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. He's our God. So, so because of Jesus, God is unconditionally committed to us. And we don't have to fear failures because of his steadfast love. So there's assurance. And then what, toward the end of verse 7, there's the word of God. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As the people of Israel did at Meribah and Massa. So it's describing a place back in Exodus 17 where the people heard God's voice, but they refused to listen to him. They grumbled, they complained. So there's a pattern. Praise, confession, assurance, hearing the word of God. Does that sound like anything we do on Sunday? <laughs> yeah, like th that's why we structure the service the way we do. We don't just throw it together haphazardly. You need all those components. And we do it a couple times. You know, so, so we do it first leading up, so now we're hearing the preached word, right? So my role here as preacher is not to give you all Steve's two cents on life. No, no, none of you want to come and hear that. My, my job is just simply to clarify and amplify what God's already saying in his word and to sit under it with you. And then we go through that pattern again. Right? As we sing again, we, we give, we approach the Lord's table, and then we, we're, we're sent out with a benediction back to, to praise, right? Confession, assurance, hearing his word. So there's a, there's a pattern to worship. And so what do, what do we do with that? So first I just hope you all see that there's a deliberate intentionality behind why we do what we do. Uh, but to get a little bit more concrete, just like think about how you view different components of the worship service because th they all matter. And so some of you, especially in, in this area, you might be more prone to view the worship service as like an education experience. So I want to come learn some things. It might come from what's being preached. It could be something the worship leader says, you know, in between songs, I'm coming here to learn some things. Or some of you might be, you know, you love to feel all the feels. So worship is just, it's about an experience for you. So I just want to come and, and feel good. I want to feel lifted up, but I don't actually want to change. I don't actually want to think critically about what God's saying to me and be, to, 
to me and his word. Or the fact that, that worship is supposed to be a community. Okay, no, I'll just, I'll come, I'll sit by myself, you know, maybe take some notes and then I'll leave. You need every component. And so my encouraging ch- challenge to you all is just as you, like, just try to think about what part of the service do I value the most? Like, do you check out? Maybe some of you are checked out right now. <laughs> just as, you know, as, as the preaching of the word happens. Um, like, where do you tend to check out? Is it during the music? Because you're just not really an emotional person. Is it when we're doing communion? Is it during the preached word? You know, like, what, what, what part is it? Because we need every single component to be shaped by the worth of who God is. Some of you, when you're not on a service team, you come late. And just consider, is, is that because I don't view those first few songs as really that important? I'm not trying to beat you over the head, but like, just God offers us an amazing feast through every component of the service. He said, why do we worship? Be shaped by the worth of God. The form that worship takes, it's in a community. It has many different facets to it that all matter. Okay, so, so finally, let's, let's look at what is, the, what is the beauty of worship? Because all, all throughout the psalm, what the psalmist is trying to get you to do is to see the beauty of who God is and, and the beauty of what we get to do every single Sunday. And the, the danger of looking at what we just talked about, like the form of worship, is okay, there's, you know, A, B, C, D, like all these steps we do as part of the, part of the worship gathering. The, the danger of that and looking at it is we start to view, we can view church as this, like, input-output experience. Okay, if I come and I, I praise, I confess, I receive assurance, I listen to the preached word, I, I, I sing, I confess, then, you know, like, then something good will happen. I'll have a better week, or God, God will bless me in some way. Or maybe I'll be changed. Yes, you, you will be changed, but do you see what you're doing now? If you, if you view the worship gathering as I, I come so that something else happens, now you're viewing God more as a means to an end. But the reason why God wants you to, to come and worship and be shaped by the word of him on Sunday is because he wants you to come and worship him for him, to treasure him, to find what most beautiful him and so, like, think about what, what beauty is. When you find something beautiful, when you perceive it, like, immediately your mind and your heart are satisfied on the spot. That's one way to describe what beauty is. It's like the internal aesthetic equivalent of putting a, a warm blanket on yourself on a really cold day. Your mind and, and heart are satisfied on the spot when you find something beautiful. So, like, within this gathering... In the past few years alone, we've spent tens of thousands of dollars between all 50 or so of us. To, to what? To go to beautiful spots and just look. Like, just watch. <laughs> to look at a mountain, to look at an ocean, to look at a cityscape. Why? Like, you do it, you do it with a friend, you do it with a lover, you do it with family. Why do you do it? Is it because you get something out of it? It's because you get the thing itself. And that's how God wants you to view him. So think about two types of relationships now. So think about beauty in terms of relationship. So you can have a business relationship. So say you have a business partner, and you really don't like this person very much. Uh, You find them annoying. You don't have many things in common. But they're savvy at what they do. And so you partner with them, because they'll help you get an outcome that you couldn't do on your own, right? So you're, you're partnered with them, and anytime you meet, what do you do? 
Well, you're not there to chit-chat. You're there to, to get results, to get an outcome. So before you meet, you, okay, what's the agenda? What are we going to talk about? You make sure you're not there longer than you need to be. Okay, so, so the relationship is a means to a different end. But think about a best friend. Think about a lover. Like when you get together with them, why do you meet? Do you call them up and say, okay, like what are, what are the results of the next three hours we're going to spend together? No, of course not, because it's, it's, it's the relationship that's beautiful for what it is in and of itself. And that's why God wants you to come and worship, to find him beautiful for who he is. And how do we do that? Well, we can, we can meditate on a number of different verses in this passage, um, but let's just look at one. Okay, what's, what's one of the ways we can find God beautiful so he satisfies our, our heart and mind on the spot? Okay, verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So the psalmist wants you to see God's your shepherd. So if you're a sheep, what, is it, what does your shepherd do? The shepherd lives for you. The shepherd is 100% committed to your good. The shepherd feeds you. The shepherd protects you. The shepherd loves you. If you wander away because sheep are stupid, the, the shepherd will go out and find you. A shepherd, if there's danger, will put himself between you and danger. A shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. And then Jesus comes into the world and says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the perfect shepherd. And in Luke 15, he tells this remarkable parable. He's talking to people who are buttoned up and very competent. And he's talking to people who can never get their lives together. Okay, sinners and righteous. And he says, he's, he's talking about him, himself being the shepherd. And he says, who of you having a hundred sheep and he loses one will not leave the 99 and go after the one they lost? He won't stop until he finds it. And upon finding the lost sheep, he, th he throws the sheep on his shoulders and he rejoices. So this, is a, this is amazing. It's actually more amazing when you think about what he doesn't say. So he says if a shepherd loses a sheep, okay, then he goes after the sheep. I mean, he goes over mountains. He, he goes through ravines. He will not stop until he finds the sheep. And then once he finds it, what does he do? He doesn't kick the sheep. He doesn't beat the sheep. He doesn't shame the sheep, dumb, stupid sheep. He puts the sheep on his shoulders and he rejoices because what was lost is now found. And I, I hope that in your heart of hearts, like, I hope that you're asking if there is a God. I hope that's what he's like. Like not some cold, indifferent God, but a God who rejoices and puts you on his shoulders when he finds you. And Jesus' answer is, he is. That's exactly what God is like. Because when you were lost, when you were dead in your sin and wanted nothing to do with God, God didn't just stay and shrug and say whatever. No, he left what was comfortable and came into the world into the person of Jesus. 
and pursued you and pursued you and pursued you and pursued you. (laughs) And then upon finding you, he didn't shame you, dumb, stupid sheep. Why can't you get your act together? He doesn't beat you. He doesn't punish you. He lays down his life for you to take the punishment for your sin that you deserve. And then he raises from the dead and he puts his spirit in you to wake you up to your, to your need for him, to your need for God. And then what? He, he puts you on his shoulder and he rejoices. And at the end of that parable, Jesus says that the shepherd, he goes home to his neighbors and friends and says, celebrate with me because my sheep that was lost is now found. And then he says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous who need no repentance. You know what he's saying? When you trust in Jesus, God, God in all of heaven throws a party. If you know Jesus now, he's throwing a party, and he can't wait for you to experience it with him. Why? Because he's shaped by the worth of you. Because you're his treasured possession. I, I hope you think this is too good to be true, and if that's what you're thinking, then you're starting to get it when you see how much God is shaped by the worth of you, that you're his treasured possession, that you give up anything to bring home, that's what helps you find him beautiful. And you worship. Those of you who have never trusted Jesus, I, I plead with you to do it today, or at least to ask questions to somebody you know here. You're here, you're, you're a Christian. Every single day, you start to adore something else other than God. See what he did to bring you home, how much he delights in you, rejoices over you, and worship him. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fact that you actually rejoice over us, and um, when we do mess up, that you don't just leave us to our own devices, but you pursue us. Thank you so much for coming into the world in person of Jesus so that we have someone concrete to look at um, so we don't have to be left just with some sort of abstract faith but a concrete person to look to. Pray for each of us in here, Lord, that you will help us to worship you. Um, Yes, throughout the week, but also uh, will you lead us in more powerful ways in the future Sundays to come. Help us to find you beautiful. It's in the name of Jesus, our most beautiful King, we pray. Amen.